The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, and welcome back to the Tomahawk Take Podcast. I am your host, Jake Mastriani, and with me is Alan. Good day. Happy holidays to all. And Fred. Hi. Happy New Year, I hope. Yeah, and Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and all of that. Um, it's been a quiet uh, December, at least as far as baseball news-wise. Not a lot going on with the lockout, so hopefully you all have enjoyed some time with family over the holidays. Hopefully you've stayed healthy. Unfortunately, my family has not. I know a lot of others out there struggling as well, but hopefully you still manage to have a good holiday season here. And wanted to get together with Alan and Fred tonight, kind of just kick things off with the new year and talk about the lockout, what's upcoming, hopefully a, a conclusion to this lockout, and hopefully baseball will be coming soon. But uh, mainly just talking about, you know, the lockout, what the two sides are discussing, what are the main holdups, and where are we going to go from here? When are we going to get baseball back? How is the COVID situation going to play into that? You look around the other leagues right now, the NHL, NBA, NFL, all struggling with this COVID virus again with numerous players being out and games being canceled. You got a lot of bowl games being canceled. So, you know, it may coming to play once we get to March, April, assuming we have a baseball season on time. Yeah, we may be talking more about COVID protocols and how that could affect the season. So I wanted to just jump on, discuss all of that and we'll start with the lockout and honestly, not much has happened. And that's got a lot of people really nervous now that the season won't be starting on time. There's pretty much been no discussion since the lockout started back on December 2nd. Um, I really am not surprised by this. I believe I even said it when the lockout happened that I really didn't expect many discussions to take place and much progress to be made for the rest of December when you got the holidays. You know, I expected the two sides to really just sit down in the beginning of January and try to hammer this out. But 
the fact there's been no real discussions, at least no substantive discussions. Um, people, at least there was discuss or talks about them maybe discussing, you know, non-major relevant items, whatever that means. Um, at least, you know, recently. So maybe the two sides, you know, have been talking a little bit, but we really just haven't heard of much. And while I didn't think, think did not think there would be much talk going on, I did think, you know, at least the two sides will be seemingly trying to make some progress. But, Alan, it seems like where we were December 2nd when the lockout happened and where we are now on, you know, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, it seems like there's been little to no progress from that point. Not surprised at all. I, in that last podcast, I was suggesting that they might have a CBA. Uh, February 18th was the date I threw out there, uh, which is just about where spring training is supposed to start. But, yeah, I think that right now is probably a bit optimistic, too. You you suggested that the season won't start on time. That's obviously not official at this point, but I think it's probably likely that it's going to be real close to that because I've got no confidence right now that ownership or the players either, really, for that matter, has any uh, care about the economic impact that spring training has to both Florida and Arizona. And the long and short of that is it's, it is substantial to the communities in which those teams play their spring training games, but they're not going to care about that. They're going to care if they lose regular season games, and that doesn't come into play until April, of course. So there's a fair shot that we don't have anything really getting going in terms of talks or, or any results even until, even into March. And that's, not a fun topic to, to to raise because that really isn't good going to be good for the sport at all, obviously, and and it doesn't bode well for anything about baseball. But it it is also a point about how these two sides feel about one another, how they operate uh, with one another, and the answer is not very well. I, I think that uh, we're probably looking at mid to late January before any kind of new discussions uh, start taking place. And if they do make that February 18th date, then, yeah, I'll, I'll look pretty good. But i I got to admit right now I, I'm thinking closer to March 1st, which is uh, going to chop into spring training and, and cost some games there. And, and obviously there will be other implications down the road if that that does happen. Yeah, because even if you're talking about February 18th, that's still going to delay things because, you know, you can't really make plans or you can't really tell players to go down there and start getting ready because they don't know exactly, you know, they don't have a, unless they set a, a dead, a deadline, you know, that we have to have a deal in place by now. And even that good luck really holding themselves to that. So, you know, say they get a deal in place on February 18th, then there's planning to get spring training started. Then you're still looking at, you know, at least, a couple of weeks before spring training would get underway. So, you know, even at that point, you're going to see delays to the season. I, I have thought all along, and I said so before, that, you know, I thought there would be very little done in December. Like I said, I thought there would be more than what we have seen, which is basically nothing. And then I thought the two sides would just do what, you know, Fred's been suggesting all along, sit down in a room together, wear your mask if you have to, and just – nail this thing down, you know, starting in early January and get it locked down. To me, to to keep the season 
on schedule, you really have to have a deal done by the end of January because that's when players are going to start, you know, going to their respective spring training sites, you know, getting stretched out, getting warmed up for spring training. And so that's been my hope all along is that they just get together, do what human beings should do, get together, talk things out, get a deal in place in January and just, you know, again, Fred, I know I'm probably still in your point here and I'm going to let you talk, but you sit down in a room, say we're not leaving until we figure this thing out. And if it takes, you know, day after day, week after week of doing that, then that's what it takes. But something needs to happen and it needs to start happening quickly, Fred. Well, the only way that that happens is if they really want to work out a settlement. And right now they don't. Neither side wants to do that right now. Oh, they're talk about good. They well, oh, yeah, we want to do it. We want to do it for the fans. Uh, we want, we care. No, no, that's, uh, that's not right. <laughs> they don't. Both of this on both sides. This is about money on both sides. And I'm not taking either to anybody's side here. The owners want to keep more of what they've got. The players want to reach into the owner's pocket and give it to more player, give it to more of the players. I understand that. Well, but on both sides, it's all about money. And, uh, they just, some of the proposals have been really odd even before the lockout. They were, the, MLB was running up things that didn't were turned down 10 years ago, like these guys weren't around and don't remember that. And the union went back and said, oh, hey, look, let's, let's have a luxury tax at $245 million and and no levels and uh, no penalties for going over it multiple years um, because they want everybody to spend more money. And I'm going to tell you, the union, that's wrong. They're not going to do that. They're not going to spend more money. Your richer players are going to get richer. I know. And they control the union. I know. But it's not going to do anything for players overall. And until they sit down and decide that, yep, we're going to have, we're going to play. We're going to start on this day and let's fix this. They're not going to do it. I don't think either side is in that position right now. Uh, uh, Tim Dirks wrote today in a, our little uh, MLB trade rumors in uh, newsletter. And if you're not uh, supporting them uh, by being a paying member, please do that. Please do that because we need trade rumors. Everybody needs trade rumors, and, and it's it's kind of inexpensive. So let's get on and help them with that. But Tim said he doesn't expect he doesn't expect pitchers and catchers to report on time, which is Valentine's Day sort of, and he thinks that spring training will be more in a couple three weeks. And Jake, we were talking ahead of time. Jake made the point that more people are going to be injured, <laughs> and if it came to the uh, to the COVID thing. And I don't think anybody's taken this seriously. Uh, we used to say in the military, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for, for uh, deadlines, nothing would get done. Well, uh, I don't even think they've got a deadline. I know that they'd like to have it done, but I don't think there's a drop-dead deadline for either side. When the, the owners lift the lockout, if the players aren't happy, they're not going to play. This could go on a long time. Everybody said, well, yeah, we will play. And the players want 162 games, whatever, whatever they, uh, whatever the length of season is, the end zone, they won't pay for 162 games. You're not going to take anything back. And the owners say, well, you can't do that. So this is all because they got short sheeted in 2016 negotiations. And I don't know who's at fault there. And I'm not taking sides on any of this. All I'm saying is nobody wants to give in an inch right now. And I doubt one of them will give the other one a glass of water if they were thirsty. Yeah, it's it's definitely ugly negotiations, and it's 
I'm right there with you too. Like, I don't understand how any fan can take either side. Like, any fan out there that thinks either the owner or the player has your best interest in mind, I think you're just you're fooling yourselves. If you want to take the sides of the player, which it seems like most people want to do on Twitter for whatever reason, because I guess they feel like they can interact with players there and, and be their friend somehow. Look, th- that player doesn't care about, you know, your, your fandom. <laughs> they care about getting as much money as possible. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't generalize an entire player population. Now, I'm sure there are some out there that, you know, want to get out there and perform for the fans, whatever. But for, for the most part, both sides, like Fred said, they just want to get the most money possible. And that's what this is about. That's why we're here. As a fan, you just have to understand that's part of the game. And, you know, I love the game of baseball. I want to just see it played. I want to see the best players play at their best capability. So, you know, I want to see a deal get done. I understand you're you're fighting over ways to, to divide up my money and all this World Series merchandise that I've just bought. You know, that, I know that's what they're doing, and I get it, and that's fine. Just get a deal done so I can watch baseball. But don't go into the media and try to tell me that, you know, you, like Fred said, you I just want to, you know, play for the fans. I just want to see the best interest of the fans. Don't sell me on or try to sell me on that. I, I don't buy it. At all, but the biggest thing you talked about there, Fred, and again, we did it on, we talked about it on the pre podcast, which is always better than the actual podcast. But uh, the main thing that does worry me is the injuries. And if the season is delayed again, then we're at, we're at three straight seasons now that have pretty much been messed up that are, are weird, unnatural seasons for major league players who are used to routine. And, you know, now you have pitchers being delayed, set back in their, their training program, getting stretched out, getting prepped for the season. So you're going to have pitchers on limits once again. And, you know, that's the way the game seems to be going anyway. But, but still, I mean, I, I think we're getting close to the day of, of 200 inning pitchers, you know, not being a thing. And it, it just, it really hurts, hurts for the, the players that, you know, want to, to play, they want to be healthy, and you just can't get a normal routine. You don't know when the season's going to start. When do I start my training program? So that's the thing that worries me the most, Alan, is just that we're going to have another season here that is just out of the norm, whether it's delayed, um, whether there's, you know, there's going to be COVID stuff still come up and you're going to have, you know, teams with COVID cases and players missing because of COVID. That's just, where it seems like we are at this point. And it just seems like we're going to have another unusual, weird type of season and a season that could, you know, lead to more injuries, which I just hate as a fan. Right. And the, the this is the big unknown that's hanging over everything as well is what's going to happen in the spring with with COVID. Right now, uh, we're, you know, as you noted, uh, we're seeing a lot of other sports that are, doing partial shutdowns for for that kind of reason. And that's kind of all hanging in the back of my head is that by the time we get around to March or April, where are we going to be with that? Are you going to have certain states that are going to say no fans of the stands again? Are you going to have some states that are they're perfectly fine with that? We we just don't know. And all of that's going to affect revenue. All of that's going to affect the games being played. And now here we go with 2020 all over again, if that comes to pass. So uh, even beyond the fact that we've got 
a collective bargaining agreement to negotiate here. We've got that sort of hanging in the background as well. And none of this is being talked about. Nobody is doing the the due diligence to figure out, okay, we, we need to get this collective bargaining agreement done because the next thing we've got coming is we've got to uh, set up criteria for what happens in terms of health and safety. While they've been able to get that kind of thing done in the past, that has not exactly been done without acrimony either. So all of this comes down to this. The players and the owners need to figure out how to do the best for the sport because when you do the best for the sport, you do the best for their own incomes. You you make more money, you have more people watching the game, you have more people playing the game, you have more people that end up uh, becoming eligible to be major league players in the future. It grows the game when you, you get together and recognize that this is about the sport and not about each other's territorialness. This is not the way to do these things. Of course, I, it's been 20 or 30 years now that I've noted that Major League Baseball wasn't interested really in growing the game when they set up a the blackout uh, system for their network broadcasts. You know, Major League Baseball is the only sport I can think of that tries to limit its exposure to the public, the very public that they actually want watching their games. So you, you establish blackout rules which limit the game. You, you establish rules about marketing the players which limit the game. You've got an uh, adversarial relationship between players and owners and that limits the game. You're not doing anything here that helps expand the game, expand enjoyment of the game. Got to get this changed. And I don't know what it's going to take to do so because right now nobody uh, trusts each other. Nobody wants to uh, get along to, to improve the situation. And that's all, uh, you know, I could rant for a while on this, but uh, I might as well just stop because it, it, it's symptomatic of what we, what we see, uh, what we have seen for the last 20 or 30 years is that we, we've got emplacements, you know, etched out in stone and and nobody's moving. And that's, that's a, a problem for this game because it's, it's, it's a game that really should be played by a lot more people. And we would only increase the, uh, the value to the fans if we had the best players and the best athletes playing it. Yeah, and, you know, this goes back to 2020, and we all saw it coming then with negotiations, you know, during the pandemic, which is still somewhat ongoing here, and the two sides just couldn't get together at that point. And, you know, we looked ahead to this offseason as well as just the starting point of that. But, you know, Fred, the, the thought of these two sides having to come together and negotiate two deals this offseason, one for the CBA and one for health and safety protocols for the upcoming season just makes me sick inside to think that somehow these two sides are going to come to agreement on two separate uh two separate terms this offseason with the animosity between both sides, but I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's just it's a, it's in a bad spot. I mean, again, I love the game of baseball. I'm I'm always going to watch it. And I'm an old school type person. I don't really love to see the game changing like it is. I don't love the home run strikeout strategy that we are deploying in baseball right now, but the Braves just won a World Series with it. So, you know, that it is what it is. But 
I love the game of baseball. I'm going to watch it regardless. But, you know, to Alan's point, you know, you just wish the two sides would come together and do what's best for the game of baseball. And it just seems like neither side has that in mind when they're going through these types of negotiations, whether it be health and safety protocols or whether it be a collective bargaining agreement. We've been losing the middle class in baseball since the last, well, for the last six, seven years anyway. And that what that really means is that you've got the high end and you've got the people in the first six years of their contract, but there's fewer people in between them because of the money thing. It's, if you're paying the top end players all this money and you can save money by using uh, prospects and, and, and quad A players, which we have seen a ton of quad A players. And, and uh, it just what that shows you is that the union is run by the rich players in the union. Uh, and so you can distribute money to the prospects in the first six years and you can raise the salary cap. So the top 10 people get this. But you still lose the middle class of players somewhere along the line. They retire. They go overseas to play. They do things. And, and so what does that do? The talent on the field, as Alan said, is not as good. And we are injuring pitchers at a higher rate than we should because we are mandatorily cutting down their their spring trainings. We're making them pitch more innings uh, than, their quali- than they're ready to pitch. And that if they don't get together and sign the CBA in time for the pitchers to have a full spring training, they're they're asking those pitchers to go out and pitch injured. And it, to, again, that's back to Alan's point. These injured pitchers there they're not facing the best. They're facing not facing the bat uh, the batters. The batters are facing, let's say, not the best quality pitching, and so you you get skewed numbers. And some of the some of the batters aren't. Get, they get injured or they, don't, they go into a slump because they don't get enough swings in the spring. It just makes the game hard to watch in certain places. You, you look at teams that had huge budgets last year that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I mean, you look at Philadelphia, and you look at their lineup, and you go, uh, who is that in center field? I, I mean, I'm not picking on Philly because, because it's not just them, but they had like five center fielders last year, and none of them were, were much good. Uh, I don't know. I just think I think there's too much focus on winning and losing in the in the negotiations things, uh, and I, I, as a result, there's a ripple effect. Somebody mentioned today: uh, Will the minor league season start on time? Well, um, not with any forty forty man roster players, it won't. I mean, they could start a minor league season without them, um, but you can and you play, but you're you're not getting your your good play good players down there. And if they don't start the minor league season, those minor league players aren't making any money, and the big league players don't give two dams about that because they're not members of the union because they're not on the forty man roster and they're not up there and they're not we're, we're not they're not fighting for them at all. So, I I just think that there's. So many peripheral things. This isn't like the uh, United Auto Workers are not going to make any cars unless everybody gets a raise. That's fine. But this is not what's happening here. What's happening here is the rich part of the unions getting richer. That, that may do something for the players in the first six years, but the average major league career is like three and a half years. So you've got people in between there, the middle class of player, the player who is 
a steady, steadfast member of the team who plays you know, 40 games a year and he maybe hits 250 uh, and he's a dependable player, a team player, come off the bench and do things for you. Uh, he's squeezed out and he's playing in Japan because they'll pay him good money and let him play all year. I, I, these people are so frustrating, so annoying, so single-minded and so blind to the side effects of what they're doing. It, it's almost incomprehensible what people in this kind of money. Alan said they're not trying to expand the game, but they're trying to make more money, and that's exactly right. What happens when that happens is uh, you start losing teams. We haven't lost any in a long time, uh, but it is possible that MLB would have to come in and bail out teams because people fans aren't going to watch bad baseball, and they don't want to hear – they don't want to hear about all this little nitpicking stuff. They want to see a good team on the field, take Jake's good money uh, for that for that uh, jersey, and they want to see him play in meaningful games. They want the team to take the field to have a chance to win the game. And you can talk about competitive balance all you want, but when you got teams winning 55 games a year, those are not competitive teams. I just think they're, they're doing this backwards, and they're going to pay up pay for it in the end, and the fans are going to suffer. Yeah, and that's what I loved about, uh, I'm going to use the Kansas City Royals as an example here. They are a team that is in an obvious rebuild. They are not going to win. But what I appreciated, and I believe it was last, last offseason, might have been the offseason before, but they went out and made moves to put major league players at positions. Um, even though they knew they didn't have a team to win, they were rebuilding. You know, and they traded for a guy like Andrew Benantini. They signed a Mike Minor. Um, you know, they they brought in they brought in major league players. They didn't just completely punt on the season. They tried to put an entertaining product on the field, and I liked watching that Royals team. You know, they had some young players, some good talent, but you know they had major league talent across the board, and they didn't have a a payroll that was crazy by any means. But they at least spent some money to put major league players on the team. My whole problem you know, with players or with teams rebuilding is the fact that they just, they don't try at all and they don't put a major league product on the field. And that's where, you know, I don't like that part of it from a baseball standpoint, from a, a fan standpoint. Like if I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, why am I going to a baseball game? Like why am I paying to go watch that team play? I, I just, there's really, no reason for that. You're not putting a major league product on the field, and that's a disservice to the fans as a whole. And that, that kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about. One of the biggest discussions, topics, items in the CBA, and I read this over on MLB Trade Rumors as well, is going to be a, uh, it's a, a threshold, a, um, looking at a competitive balance tax and a, a tax threshold and not necessarily for me having a a cap, but more so having a floor. And I think a floor needs to be instituted in Major League Baseball, whether that's 80 million. I, I would like it to see it be 100 million. I think all teams can afford that. But I would like to see a floor implemented in Major League Baseball to 
kind of force these teams like the Royals, like the, the Orioles, the, the Pirates to put a major league product on the field. I mean, I'm looking at payrolls from 2021 and the, the Cleveland Indians, now the Guardians. I'm never going to get used to that. You know, had a $50 million payroll. The Orioles, 42. Uh, the Pirates, 54. The Marlins, 58. And then it jumps up to the, to the Rays at 70. That's just, I'm sorry, that is, that is pitiful that you can't do better than that. And that's where Fred is talking about these middle class players are being just left out of the game because the Indians would rather just go with, you know, some 4A player at second base rather than sign a, a journeyman second baseman, a major league player who's going to give you better production there. And that's where kind of my frustration is. So, you know, if I'm looking at one thing from the CBA that I'd like to see, you know, I, I'm not so I'm not so much concerned about the teams at the top. You know, the Dodgers are going to spend 250 million. The Yankees, Mets, they're going to spend whatever they want to spend. You know, I don't think they really concern themselves too much with that that tax threshold unless it gets to like a third year or whatever. Uh, that's not a big make or break for me. It's more so having a floor and forcing some of these uh, lower market teams to actually put a major league product on the field. So that's something for me, Alan, that I would like to see from the CBA negotiation is to create some sort of spending floor for these teams. I can see that, although I can also see some uh, issues that may come from that. If you have a team that's truly in rebuilding mode, you, you've had all your stars graduate or become free agents or, or things like that, uh, then you're going to be in a rebuilding mode. I'm, you know, you can think back to the Atlanta Braves of 2017, 2016, where they were kind of really falling on hard times in terms of who they had available. They were trying to spend some money, and still it wasn't working. So, you know, sell off your your players and and get uh, uh, draft picks and, and such to to come back and and build back uh, your team in a in a better way. And that obviously has worked for them, but. When you get teams that have done, are doing that perennially, uh, your Pittsburgh's or, or, uh, or maybe now Oakland is headed in that direction. Uh, if you, you're doing that in multiple years, then that might be a cause for triggering some sort of a penalty that way in, in my thinking. Uh, you, you don't want teams that go down to 50 or $60 million payroll and stay there. If you, Get down there maybe one year. Well, okay, let's talk about it in terms of the way the other side is with the, uh, the luxury cap, uh, thresholds. You, you've got different penalties for the first, second, and third years where you exceed the cap. Maybe if you did different penalties for first, second, third year that you exceed, uh, or go below the floor, if, if that, uh, would perhaps, uh, entice people to, to spend more money. I'll tell you what the, 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 the best idea I've heard though so far in terms of trying to prevent teams from tanking and prevent them from, from, uh, using their payroll as a, a weapon for, for getting draft picks and such is what Jason Stark came up with. And this sounds so simple and I think it would, would have, uh, entirely positive ramifications. Take all the teams that do not make the playoffs, arrange them in, in order of record, best to worst. That's your draft order. Best team not making the playoffs drafts number one. 
next best team drafts number two. I think that uh, would go a long way because that way you you can't tank. Your 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 tanking gets you. If you're the worst team in baseball, then you end up drafting twelve, thirteenth, fourteenth, something like that. I I think that uh, uh, that I think that would go a long way in order to try and keep uh, the competitiveness up for a lot of teams and and. As valuable as these teams seem to think that draft picks are, especially those of the top ten, you might have a lot of teams fighting to to get up into that top ten that uh, uh, currently wouldn't be doing that if, if uh, the the rules remain the same. So I like that idea personally, and I think that uh, might a rule like that might take care of itself in terms of payrolls. Yeah, I like I like that idea as well. Maybe you have to be tailored a little bit because you know i don't want to just necessarily crush teams who just you know honestly don't have a good product on the field and need help and need those draft picks i like the idea of maybe doing some sort of lottery for the first three picks and and maybe you give more chances to the teams who finish with a better record you know i could maybe get more on board with that but certainly like the creativity would like to see some sort of incentive for you know, non-playoff teams who continue to try to push and, and win games. But, Fred, I think this is going to be one of the big, bigger talking points in these negotiations is dealing with competitive balance and, you know, somewhat forcing teams to spend more money. I mean, we talked about it. That is the idea of all of this. How can more money be, be given to the players and how can the owners not have to spend more money? But that's definitely going to be a big talking point. What are kind of your thoughts on how they can fix this? Well, the, the, the I'll tell you why a salary floor won't work. The salary floor won't work because if you've got a salary floor of a hundred million dollars and you sign Max Scherzer to a $43 million contract, you've got $60 million to spend among 24 players or 25 players. So you're not going to force teams to have better players. They may, you're forced, their high-end players are going to make most of the money, and that's going to be three or four players on the team. Uh, if you've got three players at $20 million on the team, and the rest of them are triple or, or, or entry-level players, you can hit that $100 million mark. You might bring some of the middle-class players back, but what you're going to see is uh, players not as talented getting paid money because they have to pay pay somebody that money, not because they're the best player to do that. Uh, the reverse draft thing that might work. I haven't I haven't read Jason's article on that. I'm sorry, Jason, don't shoot me. <clears throat> but here's what here's what works: relegation. <laughs> Take a team out of playing. Send them down to a to a lower level league for a year. Will they make a lot less money in that lower level league? They'll they'll want to get back pretty quick. Um, the reason that won't happen is that the owners are all afraid they might get relegated and not come back. And uh, like Pittsburgh, for example, um, you know they won't do it because it's like asking Congress to in, in, implement term limits. <laughs> and they're going to down that vote that down all the time, and the owners would have to be the ones to agree to relegation. They're going to downvote that because they're not going to make as much money. They can put a losing team out in the major leagues right now, and they can make make as, make more money than they could be in, in the second league, although I, I would argue against that. But they, that's what that's the argument for it. Um, and, and, and we talked about 
the vanishing uh, MLB talks about it's 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 compared once three four years ago uh, when when did, they, when did they write this uh, 2018 the Ringer wrote something that said <clears throat> in 2017 three te- three teams won 100 games that's the first time that it happened since 2003 it happened again in 2018 it happened again in 2019 and it, it came close to happening this year as well. And when you have that many teams winning that many games, there's a lot of teams on the other end of the of, of the uh, of, of the spectrum who aren't winning, aren't winning 60 games, aren't winning 70 games. There's no competitive balance in that, Mr. Commissioner. I don't care how you want to spin this, how many teams you say, well, they made the playoffs. I don't care about that. The rich teams who got to the playoffs won. Um, Braves got in and snuck in and grabbed one this year, but overall. The teams that get to the playoffs, spend the most money, have the best players, and the rest of them there are, are there during the year for uh, the, the, the best teams, the teams that grow players and sign players to beat up on until they get to the real season, which starts in postseason. And MLB doesn't want to uh, want to do anything. They want, want to change the way it works. They want to expand the playoffs so that they get more teams in them, even if the teams aren't any good. Um, because not because it's good baseball, but because it brings in more money, uh, and it means and this. But the players still want to play 162 games, so now they're going to jam those 162 games into you know, 10 days less, 10 days less of a season. Um, and again, that doesn't improve quality. You've you've always had losing teams. There's always been the Cubs. I boy, I was a Cub. My dad was a Cubs fan. And the Cubs were always perennial bottom bottom dwellers, but there was more competitive balance in that league than there is in this now. The the the, the teams that were were winning in that league played good ball. The Cardinals, there's only eight teams, so four or five of the teams were winning. And you know, every now and then somebody would come up and challenge them and get slapped down. But right now, you've got five or six of the teams winning, and the other ten fighting for that uh, whatever's thrown off the table. Um, I, I still think that. Uh, there's going to come a time when we're going to lose a team because the fans just don't want to go watch that team anymore. And we've seen it come pretty close to happening two or three times. Um, that's theoretically the reason the team left Montreal. Oh, that was more Jeffrey Loria drove that team to that position. But if Pittsburgh didn't have a new ballpark uh, and hadn't had that one run in 2013 and 2014, uh, they, they, they would be in that situation. And, and that's, that is a crying shame. I, I don't know how to fix it. I'm not that smart. I just know that the way it's set up now, uh, this is, this is a snake eating its tail. It keeps going around that circle and they keep doing the same things and nothing really changes. The $100 million floor, $100 million roster won't change it because they want to pull, the league wants to then pull the salary cap down. To 200 million, and the union says, "No, no, we've got to go the other direction." Well, okay, you're you're just there's just no way of manipulating that by managing salaries. What you have to do is what you do in spring training. You must put a competitive team on the field. If the team is not a competitive team, then you get fined, or you I, I don't know what the but there's punishment that comes in for the team, and usually that's in the terms of a fine. Uh, because that's what the owners hate to lose. Uh, if teams had to, uh, to Alan's point, if the teams had to put a competitive team on the field, um, then the owners uh, or the owners have to reach in their pockets and pay for it. 
uh, it would be a different thing. But right now, there's no there's no punishment for being bad. There's no repercussions from from winning 59 games in the season any more than there is from winning 81 games in the season. Uh, it, it it doesn't make any difference whether I win 50 or 80. I'm still going to draw my money. I'm still going to make money over the season because of uh, uh, the competitive balance money and all these things. And really, if I can do that and stay in business uh, and watch baseball out of my out of my box, why do I care? Yeah, that, that's frustrating, you know. And hopefully, the people in these negotiations are smarter than us. But for some reason, I kind of doubt it. But there has to be some sort of there has to be some sort of and that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's got to be some sort of solution here, you know. And I don't, you know, I don't want to have to find small market teams like I don't want to have to punish small market teams but there has to be a way to somewhat force them to be competitive I I still think a a floor could be beneficial but I kind of like what you're saying Fred too of of saying hey you know put a competitive team on the field but then how do you judge that and I, I don't know the first thing that came to mind for me was war you know everybody loves the war stat now and you know, make a team have to have a projected combined war of a certain amount or else you, you find them or penalize them with draft picks somehow. You know, that's maybe some way you could do it and get analytics into the game as well and to the fans. I don't know. Like I said, hopefully people in these negotiations are smarter than me, but I would like to see, I'd like to see more competitive, you know, rosters up and down. Again, I mentioned, uh, the Royals, because I, I appreciated what they did. They knew they weren't going to win a World Series, but they still went out there and, and got some Major League players. They spent $86 million, and they were a 74-win team, and I can appreciate that. And I think the fans can appreciate that. You know, Even though I know my team's not going to be good, at least I get to go out and watch Major League players. You know, I get to see 70-plus wins. You know, I think there's – I think you can at least hang your hat on that a little bit. So I want to see more teams trying to do that. So any way that you can think of to try to, you know, force teams to put a competitive roster on the field from day one, I think that has to be a major topic of discussion during these meetings, whenever these meetings happen, if these meetings happen, hopefully very, very soon. But Fred, I'm going to kick it back to you. Anything else you wanted to talk about or mention before we wrap up this episode? MLBTR says that there's no exodus of players to to overseas, but and there probably isn't any more in numbers because the overseas leagues they have a limit, like they don't have three or four or foreign players per team. But we're seeing names that we have seen in the major leagues more recently. It used to be players who were just Never, never could grab, grab onto the major leagues and would go over there to play or players who were past playing in the major leagues. But, you know, if you look at some of the names, uh, uh, I can't pronounce his name, this Deponier, the guy used to pitch for the Padres two years ago. He signed overseas. Rio Ruiz signed overseas. Uh, Wes Parsons, who's one in one of the cases, he just, he'd been to the major league for a cup of coffee. He signed overseas. But if you go down the list of players that are overseas now, we're seeing a better quality of, of 4A player go overseas, if that makes any sense to anybody. Uh, and that's, that's the people who they can't wait around to see if there's going to be a contract for them because they got to eat and they aren't got enough money. So they're going to go overseas where they can make more money and play. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, congratulations, Kyle Seager. By golly, um, he, he played his last season. He announced his retirement 
And he said that he had, he knew this all season long and never said a word to anybody. Um, and, uh, that he just said at this point in time, I could come back and play. He hit 35 home runs. So yeah, I guess he could come back and play a bit and make a lot of money, but it was time to go spend time with his family. And I think that beyond that scope, he didn't want to be mixed up in this mess. And uh, hats off to a guy who had a really, really good career with a team that really went nowhere while he was there. But uh, he himself had a fine career. And, and you know, it, it's it's nice to see a player with, with enough common sense to yeah, – uh, somebody said today, uh, maybe Spielberg said today, you know it's time to retire when there's a bus outside your house laying on the horn. Well, he didn't wait on that. He called an Uber and left. And I think that, uh, you know, you got to congratulate Kyle Seeger on that. Um, and uh, just just hope that other players understand that they don't want to stick around until they yet get the uniform ripped off their back because nobody will hire them. So congratulations to Seager, and that's all I can really think of right now. Yeah, no, definitely congratulations to Kyle Seager. Glad to see him go out on his own terms, um, not to kind of rain on the parade or anything, but I saw the tweet where I think he and Felix Fernandez had like a combined 20-something years in Seattle without a playoff appearance, which is just – Sad, but it just goes to show you in baseball, you know, the best players don't always get a chance in the brightest moments, and that doesn't mean they weren't great players. Kyle Seeger, very good in his own right, and obviously Felix Fernandez, you know, Hall of Fame-worthy type of player. So, yeah, congrats to Kyle Seeger and uh, his retirement. Alan, anything that you got before we get out? You know, playing in Seattle is is a different bird anyhow. And just as an aside here, I caught something on the MLB Network radio that I hadn't really thought of, but kind of flabbergasted me when I uh, did hear it. The shortest plane ride for a player going on the road from Seattle is longer than every interdivision National League Central team has to do. In other words, if you're in the National League Central, if you're one of those NL Central teams, you're playing another team within your own division, every one of your plane rides is shorter than Seattle ever has to do for any team. And that's got to wear on you day by day uh, as you're doing travel because I mean, you're used to short hops if you're in the NL Central or even, really, frankly, the AL Central. It's a little bit more uh, there, uh, but... The Central and East teams definitely have a built-in advantage in terms of travel over a team like Seattle or over a team like maybe San Francisco, Colorado sometimes, Colorado uh, based on the altitude. So uh, I don't think uh, those kinds of competitive uh, disadvantages are talked about enough in terms of those cities and those teams. But uh, that's just an aside. Um, next is about competitive uh, bargain agreement. I think that if the players really truly want to see some uh, changes done in terms of service time manipulation, service time length, free agency opportunities, they're going to have to give away something big. And I suspect it may have to do something with guaranteed contracts. And that's their holy grail that they're not going to want to giveaway so my my fear is that uh when when it comes down to it it's going to be a very long knockdown drag out before anybody gives on either one of those uh issues and when when we talk about core economic issues for the cba that's it uh because that's where uh most of the money uh is determined is is 
in time to free agency and in guaranteed contracts. And that those are uh, things that are near and dear to the hearts of both sides. Finally, I saw today that the U.S. Mint is doing a commemorative coin thing starting January 6th. They do this often. They do this annually, actually. Half dollar, silver dollar, and five dollar coins. And this year, it's for the Negro League Museum's uh, memorial. And I, I would uh, it strongly suggest that if you've got some uh, disposable income to throw their way, that'd be a great way to do it. Uh, they're doing a great job over there. I learned so much of uh, baseball history that I didn't know when I'm listening to Bob Kendrick and, and the folks over at the Negro League Museum. That's uh, classic baseball that we haven't heard enough of. And if you uh, haven't heard of their podcasts or, or anything like that, uh, uh, I, I encourage you to get get behind that and get uh, to where you can hear that and like say this commemorative coin thing is another way to raise some money for a great cause that way yeah i appreciate you saying that alan for sure definitely we'll go check that out um but that'll do it for this episode of the tomahawk take podcast hope you all have a great new year hopefully we have some better news to talk about next time as far as the CBA negotiations. Hopefully we have some news in general to talk about as we virtually have had nothing the entire month of December, but glad to be back on the podcast together. Again, hopefully things will get kicked back up as far as negotiations go. Hopefully this lockout will end soon and we'll have a new agreement and baseball season will start on time. But again, hope you all have a great new year. Please check us out over at TomahawkTake.com for all of our written work over there. And we will talk to you next time. This has been the Labor and Management Rants edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast, which is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC, a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc. Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of the participants. And despite that fact, Minute Media still hasn't locked us out yet. All rights reserved. One of the musical selections used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0. This was a piece by Kevin McLeod entitled, appropriately enough, Gold Rush, which was modified to fit in the available space. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. All other musical selections used come via rights already purchased by TomahawkTake.com. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today, and may you find that your own labor disputes pale in comparison to those that baseball faces. So come join us for the next inning. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.